Hi, I'm Ben Strivens. He's John O'Scott. Hi. And we, we watched, watched anything. anything. We trawl the depths of Netflix to find three films of the same genre, of the same genre, and watch them so you don't have to. I take one, he takes one, and there's one we both watch. So you know what to add to your queue, or flush down the loo. Hello Jono, welcome to episode five of We Watch Anything. Hello Ben, it's nice to be back. How are you? I am marvellous, thank you Jono. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that was a bit weird. I sounded like a robot. Um, uh, what was our genre this week? Talk me through it. What did you choose? I went for comedies. I went for comedies. I went for specifically indie comedies because I kind of figure, um, for a start, Netflix is awash because of this horrible Adam Sandler deal they've done <laughs> with just <laughs> terrible Adam Sandler comedies. And maybe we could do an episode on that one week. In that, like, I still have a massive soft spot for Happy Gilmore. Oh, yes. Because that just makes me laugh out loud. And obviously Punch Drunk Love, which isn't really a comedy. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. But um, I do think... And Wedding Singer. Wedding Singer. Oh, yeah, and Wedding Singer. So there have been some great 50 comedies. First Dates, I think. I've never seen right. that. I've never it, seen it that. Is pre- it's, it's so high concept as to be absurd, but it's it's just manages to have enough magic to be all right, I think. But yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, in general, his latest output, even though you know I haven't seen more than trailers, has made me sort of want to run Screaming for the Hills. So he's got this five-picture deal or something to Netflix that I thought yeah. we probably best avoided, unless we do a special. And then maybe yeah, maybe there'll be something great. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I went with the concept of independent comedies. There was a lot. I mean, I yeah, certainly just from looking through, there is a lot of sort of that sort of um, Lars and the Real Girl kind of yeah. weird, slightly off-kilter indie comedy stuff out there. And a whole load of it. Is just non-cinema release stuff as well, isn't it? Just things I've never heard of. Well, I mean, now known actors. Yeah, yeah, but it's like yeah, straight to video land. But well, not straight to video, but video on demand, which suddenly you know is a which is a a, a booming market of revenue streams things. If you happen to tell be me more to, about the booming market I'd of love revenue to about streams, that booming market. Um, <laughs> no, but honestly, yeah, it seems like a lot of things like they'll go, they'll come to Sundance, they'll go to one of the film festivals, they'll do well, and it's a do you release it on video on demand? Then like um, Field in England got simultaneous released in cinema. Oh yeah, video on yeah, demand, I've not seen that yet. and on film four or something briefly. Um, a bunch of these films. Uh, there seem to do that so that's why I picked a couple of them really um, yeah. I'll be entirely honest I picked three movies and then I dropped one after watching it because oh yeah I forgot you told me about this it was this awesome sounding Kiwi horror comedy called Housebound and the New Zealand horror comedies is kind of where mm. I grew up loving film like bad taste yeah. was just you know root cause of me in love with things and then well you were the one that introduced me to bad taste at student sort of level yeah, yeah. so I've thank been... you holding on to my bootleg copy of that since I was like 15 and then um, there was uh, there's dead uh, what's it called black sheep as well which is a bit of a classic um, and there's just there's, there's a great tradition of like in New Zealand horror comedies but this what was definitely in the shadows was a recent one yeah 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 um, but this is much more what we do in the shadows is much more comedy than horror though whereas this was much more horror than comedy it was like it definitely had funny moments but it was it it was a horror movie so i even stopped watching it halfway through just in case we wanted to do it for another thing i just got halfway through i went right too much horror (laughs) so i whipped that out and changed it for another movie 
which I will tell you about later. But without further ado, what did you get, Johnny? What uh, what did I what did I plonk in your lap? Um, you gave me Frank and Cindy, and it's important to note that it's Frank and Cindy made in two thousand and fifteen. I'll explain why in a second. Now, Ben, um, do you remember after our last podcast, we did a bit of a post-match debrief mm-hmm. and we both agreed that we were going to try and get more succinct about describing plot and describing our film to give a sort of back of the video box summary. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot believe that you then gave me this film because <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite a complicated concept to try and get across. Okay, but... um. I've, I've, so, uh, did you ever see Anvil, the story of Anvil? Yes, although it's, I, I can remember it. Well, I, I know I saw it. I know I really enjoyed it. I think I laughed quite a lot. I felt quite sorry for them. I also really watched it going, is this actually a mockumentary or a documentary? But uh, I actually also can't really remember a thing about it apart from just a feeling of they were a bit sad. Yeah, okay. Well, remember Anvil, the story of Anvil, rockumentary about faded band musician who never made it yeah. and his relationships blah de blah now imagine someone's made a film a drama film uh-huh. about the making of anvil the story of anvil okay so something that captures not only magic scenes moments in anvil the story of anvil recreates them but also tells the story of the relationship between the band members and the, the, the filmmakers making the film, the road the filmmakers went on. Okay, Right. This isn't sounding overly complimentary right now. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's the thing. It's just a complicated thing. In one sentence, Frank and Cindy is about a dude filming his parents, one of whom is a washed-up musician. That's it in one sentence. Right. But to, but to expand on it, it's a comedy drama about the making of a real documentary, a real <laughs> documentary that was called Frank and Cindy and is also currently on Netflix. Excellent. So, <laughs> this is why I stress we are talking about Frank and Cindy 2015. This is very now, meta. Um, is, is the documentary made by a different person than the movie? No, no. <laughs> no, it's not, Benjamin. <laughs> it's made by the same person, the very same. No, um, so the director is... Um, uh, G.J. G.J. Etchenkamp or something. I, I don't know how you say his surname. But the director is telling the story of his relationship with basically his parents, mm-hmm. his his birth mum, Cindy, and his stepfather, Frank. And here's the key. Frank used to be a member of OXO, who I didn't know, but they're an 80s band who had a one-hit no. wonder, which I've looked up on YouTube. It's called Whirly Girl. And I think you... Oh, you that possibly does... would know it. It goes. Oh, no, that's it's perfect. Really captured it for me exactly. I'm about. To... <laughs> I can't. I can't get it out of my head now. It just sounds like Cartman. <laughs> Sorry, but um, so so that's what it's about. And Cindy um was a groupie of 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 Frank essentially, and it's okay. thirty years later they married and. You know, life hasn't turned out how they expected. They're sort of washed up, and and the original documentary was a fly on the wall documentary. Mm-hmm. Watching this sort of messed up partnership, this messed up relationship between Frank and Cindy. Yeah, I, I get the impression. Yeah. Um. But this Frank and Cindy 2015 is is more about the filmmaker as well. So it starts, okay. and it's you know, it's it's not you know, it's not handheld. He's filmed returning to home to his. Where he hasn't been for some time, and they and meeting his recovering alcoholic mother and this overweight, shambolic, schlubby musician guy Frank. Yeah. Now the 
the early-ish turning point before long is that he turns out he's come back and he they've got some of his savings that's going to send him to film school and it turns out they've spent it all on like <laughs> recording equipment for this this lovely dude's kind of studio Excellent. and um and in anger, I, I can't quite remember the order of things, but in anger, he uses the sort of guilt to coerce them into agreeing to him filming them. He's going to film them all okay, the time. Okay, so it doesn't start off as a particularly a particularly warm look at his parents. It's more of like a fuck you, I'm filming you kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. And he, and he starts filming them. The clips get onto YouTube and it goes on. And that's the main thrust of the, the plot. It's about him making a film about his parents. But at the same time, there's a love, a love plot where you see the, the guy, GJ, as he's called, the director guy, yeah. he's a bit of a womanizer himself and it sort of, um, it follows his relationship with the girl who likes him. So it recreates some of the standout moments from this original documentary yeah. while definitely presenting, um, it, it's definitely a warts and all biopic of, of the filmmaker himself. You know, mm-hmm. he, He's not made out to be a cool dude necessarily. And it all builds up to this not too over-the-top climax at all. It's quite an underplayed climax, which I won't give away too much, but let's say it put, puts me in mind of the climax of High Fidelity. Do you remember High Fidelity, the yeah. film? Yeah, 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 very yeah. well. I've watched it so, a number of times. So, you know, that's slightly sort of, you know, it, it's a satisfying climax, but it's quite low-key. You see, that, don't you think that's quite a complicated, metery type plot? It's exceptionally metery, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now I'll just, I'll just go on and say... Um, Right, Frank is played by Oliver Platt. I love who, Oliver Platt. That's one of the reasons I chose just, this movie. Because yeah, no, I love I'm, Oliver Platt. I really love... I mean, this is... Uh, the thing is, I think I first really remember him from Flatliners. Yep. I think that's the first time he really made an impression on me because he was just fantastic. That, that may have been the first... Basically... I think that's the first movie I saw three times at the cinema, Flatliners. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, anyway, he, he, I mean, he's great as Frank. This, this, he's annoying. He's rude. He's really selfish. He's quite, you know, he's he's a disgusting figure. Yeah. But he's also there's definitely something likable about him. Yeah. But then we come to Cindy, the filmmaker's mother, played by Rene Rousseau. Oh, and she she's amazing. I love her. Honestly, that like the the actress is Rene Rousseau is just amazing in it. But also the character is really she's demented. She's a sort mm. of um. She put me in mind of uh. Sort of like a demented Erin Erin Brockovich, okay. as in she's got that sort of like sort of like like you know lots of sass and balls, <laughs> but um, at the same time a <laughs> bit more messed up, you know, like definitely the sort of I don't know um, well, vulnerability I... of a recovering addict, if you know what I mean. Yeah, were they? Um, is that a thing though? Were they sort of into? Yeah, so so basically, uh, yeah, so both of them have have definitely been addicts, and one of the key sort of elements of the film is that. GJ, the director, is living with them, and it's one of the things is that she's saying that she's not drinking anymore, and that's quite important to mm-hmm. him. You know, that's sort of like that's quite a big thing in the plot. Now, yeah. GJ, the bloke who's making the, you know, the bloke who made the film in real life, being is being played in this film by Johnny Simmons. I don't know whether you recognise the name, but no. I only knew him from he's young Neil in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh right! Do you remember the, yeah, the yeah, one yeah. who I think he joins Sex Bob-omb after the dude's thrown? He does. Out. He becomes like. Yeah. Um, he just sort of he becomes a bass guitarist, yeah, 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 and um, and he was really good. And the love interest is Jane Levy or Levy. I never know how you actually say that. Um, so there's all this stuff about him making the film, and then the the love plot relationship builds between him and this this girl because he's quite a ladies' man, as I say. And there are various sort of clubbing scenes where he sort of keeps seemingly quite easily picking up 
girls and um but she's really cool and that starts being a sort of relationship and things get dark you know as in throughout that you're seeing the film through this this director guy and yeah. you're sort of rooting for him but suddenly he does things and it's like oh oh you did that oh, you're oh that's a bit disappointing oh you're a bit of a dick and but at the same time I, that made me sort of believe in him more you know because sure. it wasn't What's just this sort of, of like yeah exactly and 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 i suppose that's what the film's really about it's about real people and how real people can you know let you down can yeah. disappoint you and and it's all about how he gradually comes to terms with you know how disappointed he is in his own parents if you see to me yeah um so has he done anything else as director or is it sort of did he just do the documentary and then go um i'll make a film about the documentary i made well i'd be lying if i if, if i knew the answer to this without looking it up but but basically he's not done that much else he did this was his frankenstein indeed the original documentary was his second sort of thing after a short then he did um another documentary called never make it home and he's on his direct on imdb hmm. he's 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 in post-production of being director of death race 2050 um so a terrible yeah. sequel to uh I, to death race the remake with jason statham so i don't know if jason statham's down for death race 20 you know 2050 but anyway so yeah i wouldn't like to make too many judgments mm. about his work but he's not done that much sure other than this shall we say but um i mean i should just say i really enjoyed this 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 is a recommend for me I, and there's I, some really interesting stuff about um because obviously that you know he's essentially you know he the thing that's unlikable about it is that he sees his folks sort of you know being weird being funny yeah. being bizarre and essentially he's seeing dollar signs you know he's exploiting his parents weirdness in a certain way mm-hmm. and they then they do challenge him within the film they're not always comfortable with what he's doing and it's not quite the same as you know a prattful video on you've been framed but at the mm. same time it's in a similar venn diagram or something i guess if he starts but, off fairly doing this just you know fuck you, you spend all my film school money then at a certain point yeah. of him just wants to make him look ridiculous as well yeah but i mean fundamentally the film was about sort of real people who i kind of ended the film kind of caring about and but the main thing that i couldn't decide and i still don't really know is whether i would re- recommend someone watching this first or the original documentary first because because i don't know I, I i've not seen the original documentary yet i'm speaking from my experience which was i came to this totally blind you yeah. know i don't do i don't do any research really before watching it so i just started watching it and I kind of, I got really into it. I really liked the characters. I thought it was quite funny. It didn't make me laugh out loud that much, right, so this to be honest, is my this but... is my question. It, it, so it's meant to be a comedy. Is it funny? I would not say it's that funny. But there's Would you some call it good... a comedy or would you call it a drama mm, comedy? I'd call it a drama mm, comedy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a fail number one on my full score for actually picking sort a of, comedy. I mean, but the thing is, I'd, you know, I just... I'd, I suppose, you know, it's hard to say if I was in a cinema full of people laughing hysterically, maybe I'd find it funny, but... It doesn't sound like a laugh-out-loud sort of thing, though. No, but it was chuck- it was chucklesome at times, definitely. I mean, there was this good bit where I can't remember... Yeah, Oliver Platt's when... comic timing is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Oliver Platt. You know, and just the characters were amusing to be around yeah. without necessarily making you laugh all the time. I mean, the thing is, like, best in show, when I watch that now, it doesn't make me laugh out loud that much, but it still makes me chuckle and I still love it. This is yeah. nothing like best in show, don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> you know, but because there's it's all just... I don't know, it's a bit more like Sideways, actually. Uh, okay. You know, in a way, that's only just occurred to me, but the characters in Sideways, you know, there are definitely unlikable traits 
to their p- personality. Oh, yeah, no, I don't like Sideways very much at all. The rest of the world oh, really? really like Sideways. And I need to watch no, it again. No, I watch I know Sideways. Other people who and really just like it's just both such dickheads. <laughs> I, I, they are, but I really liked just mm. the main, main guy, even though he had unlikable qualities, I agree. But anyway, back to whether it's good to watch in blah de blah. Yeah. I, I don't know. The thing is, I liked this film seeing it just totally blind. But if there's a fan of the original Frank and Cindy out there, you know, maybe they would, you know, it's like if you imagine, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of Anvil, the story of Anvil. And yeah. I don't know whether I'd want the, to see a dramatised version of it, you know? Yeah. But I enjoyed this film. And of all the films we've watched in in our many episodes, this is the first one where I kind of thought I could watch this again quite oh, soon. Oh, great. To kind of think. But to, overall, going back to our letters thing, it's a B. Okay. okay so you'd call that one a B. A solid B. A solid B. A go out and see. Are you going to watch the documentary, do you think? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Because in ways, I don't know. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and on that. No, it's just because I think I'd rather just watch this film again, to be honest. Yeah. I genuinely felt gratitude to you for making me watch that one compared to some of the other things you've made me watch. So um, <laughs> so appreciate appreciated. Um well, what, it's interesting what? you say that because when I told you the film that I changed um, Housebound to, you were like, oh, yeah. you kind of said, oh, I feel a bit jealous now. I sort of want to see that. So it's kind of cool that you ended up stuck with um, uh, Frank and Cindy and then you didn't get to watch the film that I watched. So I um, swapped out Housebound and in, in its place, and it wasn't a hard choice because I kind of had four films up. I guess, and this was the, the the one that came in fourth, so it was like it was just a it was a slotted in, um, and it's a thing called Band of Robbers. Band of Robbers. Yeah. Okay. So not uh, not I guess not a tripping off the tongue sort of title in some ways, but um, uh, it is sort of referential. Anyway, um, Band of Robbers looked like it could have solid comedy potential, or it could be awful, and the the. the you know, like you said, back of the video box, kind of the summary, really. <laughs> the idea behind it is that um, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer have sort of been updated to be in modern times. Right. But it's not exactly true. And I'm not saying this greatly from knowledge. When I, um, after I'd watched the movie, I went back and just sort of did the Cliff's Notes thing and looked through Wikipedia and just had a, I, you know, I remember growing up watching like, um, Huckleberry Finn on TV. I'm sure there was an episode thing, a bit like Little House on the Prairie, wasn't there? Or Vengeance of yeah. Tom Sawyer. And I just remember it sort of being a bit of an Americana thing of two kids bumbling around fishing holes and occasionally scrumping apples or whatever and annoying farmers. Yeah. They had that amazing scene where they went to an island and everyone thought they were dead and then they come back into the church. Oh, yeah. There we go. I used to love that bit. And having you know read sort of the initial books. Um, kind of crazy. Yeah, there's a lot about Tom Sawyer cruising around, hooks up with a girl, they run around, run away from the sky. Anyway, um, so it doesn't really ape that too much, although it does lift a few of the characters. But the idea is, yes, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn in modern day times. The um, the whole thing is split up into chapters, and there's a sort of prologue. They have a little quote from Mark right at the beginning. It's a prologue. Huck Finn and the, and Tom Sawyer are kids searching for a treasure, which they go, and then Huck Finn never thought it was. Um, out of bounds to break into a place looking for the treasure. Cut to Huck Finn is now in prison. And so Huck Finn gets out of prison. He's met by Tom Sawyer, who's a cop. Tom Sawyer 
um, then says to him, well, I know you've just got out of prison. Here's all our chums. And if we stole something from a bad person, it's not bad, is it? And he has this plan to steal what he believes is the treasure they were searching for all those years ago from a bad man called Injun Joe, who is actually the name of the bad man in the original book kind of thing. So it's yeah, this. Cool. It's sort of basically that. Yeah. these two childhood friends have grown up and it's their uh, ramshackle plot to kind of steal Injun Joe's treasure and escape off into the sunset. This is sounding really cool. Yes, you'd have thought, wouldn't you? Mm. Wow. Um, well, one thing that sort of kept going through my head when when I read the the uh, description of this and became even more like of a clamour in my ears after <laughs> is that bit in the Royal Tenenbaums where um, Owen Wilson goes, everybody knows that Custer lied at little died at Little Bighorn, but what this book presupposes is maybe he didn't. <laughs> and it's kind of like everyone knows Hark Finn and Tom Sawyer are from the old past and they, they were kids and what this movie presupposes is maybe they aren't and it's it's just it, it, it is it desperately wants to be a Wes Anderson movie it desperately wants to be a Coen Brothers movie it just right. the whole thing has sort of all these tropes in it where it's trying to be trying to be an awful lot of things essentially I'm going to I'm going to sort of kick it off right now and just go this film was an enormous disappointment. Really? Yeah, it's a shame because there was there's a, there, there are possible things to love, and there are some good moments in it. That um, sounded like a fun setup. Yeah, it I'm does. Quite it, disappointing. It, definitely. Yeah. Um, like Huck Finn is Kyle Galnut. Like I don't know what else he's been in, but I know him from Veronica Mars, and I was a huge Veronica Mars fan. Oh yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah love that show. Um, didn't really make it big in the UK, but awesome. Um, and then Tom. And that, that's fine because he's quite a sympathetic character. He gets out of prison and he's kind of kind of like, I don't want to offend again. Um, I just want to sort of be, you know, trying to get on with my life kind of thing. Um, and Tom Sawyer is just a bit of an arse. He just he turns up and he's like, the other movie this reminds me of, and I know that you don't love it. I introduce you to it, but I have a sort of face in my heart. It's Garden State. Sister. Oh, Garden State. Because yeah, yeah. Tom Sawyer turns up and he's a cop now. And he picks him up from prison. And it's just a bit like the bit when um, uh, the main dude in Garden State returns home and like just everyone's fine, but a bit annoying. And Tom yeah. Sawyer is essentially quite annoying. And I always thought that Tom Sawyer was meant to be quite cool. And he's meant to be like, they're meant to be a bunch of, a couple of quite likable dudes, I was thought. And Tom Sawyer was, yeah. Tom Sawyer's, you know, very much the staunch part of the pairing. Um, and maybe that's what they were trying to do, juxtapose it. But it just, he's just not that likable. He's really weedy and just kind of annoying. He's banging on about being a hero and then doing all these things that make him truly non-heroic. But I think that one of the problems is that it sort of ends up in this kind of capery thing. And this is where it starts to remind me of the much maligned Cohen's version of The Lady Killers. Oh yeah, which I've never seen. Oh, which I I really like. People hate it. Loads of people hate it. I just think it's. I think, I think, the, I think the, the thing is that like I've not watched it just because I've not watched it, but I think it's mainly disliked because Lady Killers is seen as yeah. such a bolt-on classic. Which Absolutely, it's definitely the reason I haven't watched it. But actually, I don't mind that they remade it. Watching just... it as a standalone piece, I think it's it's great. It's great yeah. fun. So they have this sort of um, you know this. They're always trying to. They're trying to be very kind of coenzy, um, off the cuff, funny, kind of like you know in that way that raising Arizona has always just got funnies peppering itself all the way through. And there's yeah. a few like sort of proper kind of telegraph. Here is the gag bits when they're kind of like <laughs> doing their um, and 
uh, doing their, um, uh, I guess, their planning meeting to rob this. Um, well, essentially, they're going to rob a pawn shop, which is where Injun Joe has put the treasure, they think. Right. Um, and then they all get so drunk that they balls it up completely. Or I could say they mess it up completely. Um, balls it up is fine, I think, dude. Um, they, you know, they all get so drunk, it just turns into an utter farce. And there is, is that is the only laugh out fucking mode. Sorry? This is reminding me of Palookaville. Did you ever see that? No. But it sounds no, like... But I, yeah. but, but this, <laughs> Move on then. Sorry, I, just, I derailed you. That's Carry fine. on. Um, the bit in the liquor store... When they, sorry, in the, the bit when they hold at the pawn shop has the only yep. laugh out funny moment in it, even though they're trying to be quite funny all the way through it, where um, it's so... And I think they are sort of trying to play on how convoluted the plot is. Because essentially they're, they're going to have the cop inside the liquor store or the, the pawn shop um, and then they're going to pretend to hold it up as pretend to be Mexicans with bags on their heads and then there's going to be their other friend who's meant to be like a good Samaritan who steps in and then gets kidnapped and the cop follows them out and all but obviously they're all in it together. It's meant to be a bit like a sting kind of thing. So not, you know, yeah. it all wraps it up nice and tightly. But the dude who's meant to be the um the good samaritan who's just shopping in the store and steps in just got so drunk he can't remember his role so he just turns up wearing a mask he's got like a stocking <laughs> over his head and, and that's really quite funny but then from then it just sort of goes on and it gets um it just gets a bit darker i think just the whole situation deteriorates for them it, the next thing i think plays out over 24 hours say although it right. feels like much much longer <laughs> can you remember roughly how long this film is um too long i think yeah it's about an hour and 50 minutes and after 45 minutes in i was looking at it going and i did a quick sort of you know pause of the timeline see how long it was left i was like an hour an hour of this <laughs> left because i just didn't really like any of the characters they're not particularly funny even though they're trying to be and it just doesn't the thing about it is it doesn't really have its heart in the right place that um it wants to be a Coen Brothers movie, but without the wit and charm. It wants yeah. to be a Wes Anderson movie, but without the ability to be sort of uh, self-consciously quirky and not have you hate it. And then it sort of wants to be No Country for Old Men at the end. The last half hour is No Country for Old Men. Really? So yeah. And suddenly, you know, what, what are you doing here? Mm. Like the Coens can do this, let them do it, and you guys, because it's also made by two brothers as well. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. one of whom is Tom Sawyer, just not that great. Um, no. And it's a real shame because I think there could have been something cool here. Although it does remind me as well, it, it made me think. I can't remember if I watched it with you. Did I watch? Was it Chasing Holden? Did I watch that oh, with you? No, I don't. I don't remember Chasing Holden. I remember Chasing Amy, but not Chasing No, Holden. I think it's called Chasing Holden. It's this terrible DJ Qualls movie about sort of like they're trying to find Holden Caulfield. It's just like it's all very much catching oh, the right. Yes, I, rem- I've not, I don't think I ever saw it's it. But I just thought it looked really annoying. It's really rubbish. It's worse than this. Um, yeah. This is definitely, here you go. Here's my recommendation. This is not as bad as Chasing Holden. But it still has that same sort of like literary idea where they've gone, there's a great American classic. Let's sort of yeah. update something into the modern era. But it's just Which not totally. Done. I mean, the thing is that that's such a fun idea. I mean, th- why I will always defend to the ends of the earth, Army of Darkness, the medieval dead, whatever you want to call yeah. it, is that essentially that is, you know, the, a Yankee in the court of King Arthur. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, made made flesh in ingenious fashion or... 
uh, what was I going to say? Or like the Big Lebowski, you know, that's like a private eye thing. But they thought, I know, let's put a sort of clueless yes. hippie as the investigator. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's what they they tend to do. They just think, oh, that'd be a funny idea. Let's tell that story, but with a whole load of hicks from 1920s Depression America or whatever. Yeah. And so it does sound like a funny idea. But, I really want someone to take the film that you've just watched and make, and make it, it again, yeah. but do it well. Because they sort of, it really jettisons, I haven't gone back over the plot of the original, the, you know, the, the books. It just it jettisons a lot of that plot. So essentially mm. you've got these two guys who you've changed their characters to be, Huck Finn is quite serious and um, just wants to go straight. And Tom Sawyer is a total loser and just quite unlikable. And then... <laughs> They're being chased by Injun Joe because they're looking for this treasure that he's looking for, and uh, th- I mean that happens in the mo- in the in the book. And yeah. Tom Sawyer falling in love with this girl Becky, who is it's just the name of his partner, happens, but with none of that sort of none of the, the grandiosity, none of the the original concept of it. It just was like we're just going to make a sub Coen Brothers movie and yeah. use these guys to make it seem literally smart. And it's just and it turns it like. Uh, as well it's, it's like it's just like a crap goonies with adults i mean they're chasing a treasure <laughs> and they're running away from a man called injun joe for god's sake and like it's just not very good i mean it's it's a solid c minus for me really okay. there is one moment that you laugh out loud and that was genuinely funny but i wouldn't recommend anyone watches it for that because you have to watch the whole like the first 20 minutes to find out why that's funny it's very linked into it and that and yeah. that was it for me. Like there was, they're just not a lot of laughs. It's not that funny, and it's got a, yeah. it's got a few good reviews. And I don't really understand why, because I'd I, 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 I say that characters aren't that sympathetic. It's someone sort of doing a pastiche of much better filmmakers, and um, and I think they really miss by quite a mile what they were aiming for if they were aiming to do this Huck Finn Tom Sawyer in the modern day thing. Yeah. Wow, that's really disappointing. It was very disappointing. Housebound was great when I saw it, which is a real <laughs> Well, shame. that's good. So you've got a sort of a sort of half recommend yeah. there. Oh, yeah, good. just go and watch that. Frankly, we could yeah. save it for another show, but I've already <laughs> talked about it a bit. Just go and watch Housebound. Great. It, that's that. Housebound, which is definitely a horror film with comedy elements, was funnier than this, which is going to be a comedy caper, which is trying pretty hard to be funny until it descends into no country at the end. Right. Anyway, it's not the end of well, the world. Because no, but it's it sounds more like a D plus. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll give you that one. It's a D plus. Let's call it a D plus. Let's let's call okay. a a thingy a thingy, and let's call it a D plus. And the thing is, just briefly going back to mine, I just want to stress that even if people hate the film, they should watch it just for Oliver. Platt oh, I think I'm going to watch so, it because they're both brilliant. Okay, so that brings us around. We've had one um, B, one D plus, so one. Let's hey, that sounds great. And one. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'll probably avoid that. What about the third film? So I picked for this one something that was probably our most mainstream indie in the way that it is jam-packed full of people you've heard of, which I know kind of gave you a little bit of reservations about it, but at the same time, wasn't something I'd heard of. And obviously that's no great indicator, uh, but I, look, I looked it up as well. It didn't get a cinema release. It is no. a straight-to-video-on-demand sort of thing like we were talking about earlier. So it... Yeah. it um, it went to Sundance, was in a cinema there, and then went to, to video on demand. I've, I haven't read any interviews about it, but it sounded to me like the sort of thing that would be a bit of a like a passion project for them. It's like, oh, I want to work with this director because they make cool stuff. Well, it isn't. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but the director is that, that Marjan Satrapi who did yeah. Persepolis. Persepolis. But so basically, she's a Iranian-born French 
I think she's a graphic novelist first. I think she did it. She did a graphic novel called Persepolis. Then that was made into a film. And it, I haven't seen it. Sorry, I've not seen it. But it got like its critics, you know, everyone raved about it. Okay, so it's fine. an animated film. Oh, so that's so that's, quite... that's so that'd be why that yeah people would want yeah. to work with her. Yeah. So yeah, this is called The Voices. Mm. Um, so had you heard of it, Dave? I had never heard of it. No, neither had I. And which is weird considering it has Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Anna um, Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. Shut up. Gemma <laughs> um, Arterton. Yeah. And they're all relatively... I mean, Gemma Arterton, I never can quite work out where she stands, but she did... Uh, she was sort of, you know, co-headlining with that guy, with Jeremy Renner in Hansel and Gretel. I haven't seen her in anything yet that I've really liked. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those situations. Like, um, Interesting. I saw the... I, I, I saw her in, um, well, obviously I saw her in Quantum of Solace and she, she plays Strawberry Fields or whatever that character yes. was called. But I, yeah, I just haven't seen a film that I really liked that she was in. But I haven't, I mean, I've not seen Tamara Drew. I saw the trailer for Tamara Drew and it made me want to stop people making any more films. <laughs> but, but I've, you know, I've not, I've not seen it, so I can't comment. But I don't, I don't dislike, I've nothing against her. Just oh, Whereas I would highly recommend you watching the disappearance of Alice Creed then. Oh really? Because that is brilliant and she's great in it. Um it's like a it's like a little tight little it's almost like a radio play, bizarrely, in the way it's done. It's just really tight little thing with um a couple of like it's like basically it's only got three actors in the whole thing, just about you've got her, you've got Eddie Marzan, who's just great in it, and Martin Compton and Martin Compton and Eddie Marzan kidnap her and hold her in a room and that's pretty much the plot of it. Ah, Fantastic. That's great. Anyway, enough about that. We watched The Voices. So, yeah, yes. The Voices, we've got Ryan Reynolds, we've got Gemma Arterton, and we've got Anna Kendrick, who all, I mean, Anna Kendrick's a pretty tentpole name these days. Ryan Reynolds is obviously enormous, and Gemma Arterton is somewhere, fit, you know, middling around in, in sort of second Stringsville, but still a face and a name that people Definitely. know. Um, and so I thought, great, this is the kind of movie that I might see flicking through Netflix and go, Wow, I've, that's what these people in. I've never heard of this. Does that mean it's toilet? Yeah. Does it mean that there's no cinema release? This is actually straight to video, junky to junk, junk, junk. Well, that's one of those things, isn't it? I that that's one of the dangerous assumptions with Netflix in general. You sort of think, oh, this is a film I've never heard of with all these famous people. That must surely mean it's terrible. Yeah. But so so I looked and then at the summary, thinking maybe this is something that we could do. And the summary is, Ryan Reynolds hears voices and is possibly a serial killer. At which point I'm going, like, yes. Yes, I think we should definitely watch this. This could be <laughs> fantastic. Um, so, yeah, do you, want to give us a, do you want to give us a short summary, Jono? What, what sort of, um, what happens? It's a film about a guy with issues. He hears voices. His cat and dog talk to him. He works at a factory. He fancies someone in accounts. He goes on a date and by mistake kills her. Then he cuts her up, puts her head in the fridge. Then her head starts talking to him too and urges him to kill again. And comedy ensues. What do you think? That's that's nice. my summary. Pithy. Of I the like voices. it. It's there. No, that was, that was great. It's, um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Uh there, I mean, do you want to start? I mean, I, I've got a few things to say about this to start start off with. It's that um, if if you're okay with me, just to, to get on with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought 
to begin with, I was a bit uncomfortable. I mean, straight away, it had that sort of, it seemed quite a high budget, quite interesting direction. You know, I just thought, oh, this looks fun. You know, I could tell it was a black comedy. It had that slightly Stepford Wivesy thing mm-hmm. about the community this guy lives in. See, he also works s- in this factory and it's all quite... I would also check in with it. It's, I think it felt really John Watersy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it's like everything is a lot of bright pink around, lots of very primary colours. It had that really John Watersy kind of vibe to it. Definitely. But the thing is, okay, whenever there's something about mental illness, I think I feel like and Hollywood, mm. you know, or, or or a film. I know it's not necessarily a big budget, but it just I would just feel a bit uncomfortable, you know, because it's like, just when does this become exploitative? Like, um. It's like whenever there's a film about an autistic person, they're never like they're always given powers. You know, they're always someone who can memorize amazing things or can you know play a bit of music. You know, <laughs> yeah. after just listening to it once, it's never someone who's still wearing a nappy at age twenty-five who can't speak and sometimes becomes violent. You know what I mean? It's true. And so, although that isn't I, you know a film many people would choose to watch, I guess. <laughs> no, exactly. That's the thing. I think basically I need to unclench about this in ways, but um, and 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 I did during the making during this film during the making of this film during watching this film. I, I, st- I sort of relaxed a bit and got into it. But it just it's just at first, you know, mm. that, that Hollywood film version of any kind of mel- mental illness. But then, you know, just makes me feel a bit like, what's the, it, does the person who's writing this really know what they're talking about? Or do they just like the idea of someone sure. who hears voices? You know, it's just a dramatic device. But I, I definitely got into it a bit. But um I, I want you to step in now. What did you think of the film? Well, for me, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was an. Oh, I, th- I thought it was a cracker. I thought oh, there's a couple of great things about it. I think I love. I do love that sort of slightly um, otherworldly sort of John Watersy kind of stepwisey vibe to the whole thing. It was very much done um, like a sort of slice out of time and out of place. I guess it's meant to be small town America. Definitely. Um, yeah. And it obviously has a, a time, but it, then it, it just, it, it, there is something that is almost like a, a, a sort of a magical realism to it. Not quite, like, you know, so in, it's not a Pan's Labyrinth or anything, but it has in some ways that feel. And I love the reason for that because we do find That's out. That's a very good point. That's a very good observation. Yeah, go on. Because we, we have this, we have this ph- phenomenal moment of clarity, sort of, what, 45 minutes in. Because but, uh, there's something very interesting about Ryan Reynolds' character, and he does a great job, I think, in this, of, portray- of being essentially very very likable and yeah, you do root yeah. for him one of the great things is that he kills what's her name no one can think it's tomorrow drew what's the bloody name yeah. <laughs> Gemma. oh so he kills Gemma arston's character and i call her Gemma. and you've um, <laughs> and you get to the point where you're like at that point you're kind of like yes he has killed Gemma arston but she's not very nice no and i quite like him so yeah. yes, it's bad, but it's brilliantly done that it's not that bad because you quite like him. And then he does, you know, it's all seen as a bumbling kind of like, oops, how did I slip over and kill you? Accident thing. Until yeah. the magic moment, 20 minutes later, when you see behind the curtain kind of thing, where he takes his medication for the first time and then the scene flips from being mm. his quite nice apartment into actually being this room covered in scunge and blood full of Tupperware yeah. boxes f- with parts of Gemma Arterton in. And this, yeah. this this head that's been talking to him in this lovely clean fridge, you realise it's this manky decaying thing. And you yeah. realise that actually the sort of him going, oh, how did I slip and kill you? No, he was setting out to kill her. Mm. Uh, I just, I love that switch now. I think that's great. I love that it's kind of, it, it 
it does give you that that flip side. Like I, I don't have a problem with the with the mental. No, but like I say, side. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. By the time I'd got into the film, it's just that sort of. It was just at first. It was a sort of reservation. Um, but I, yeah, and I thought I totally. I I I agree that. Um, I mean, basically, one of the key plot points in this, I suppose, is is whether it's a plot point, but he, he, you see a, quite a few scenes with his psychiatrist. Yeah, and um, and they're really good scenes. She's really good, and she's an older woman, and she's very encouraging. But she's always keen that he should take his pills. But his cat and dog who talk to him are kind of. Well, the, the evil cat is constantly telling him not to take the pills because it'll make them go away. And the, the, um, my only problem with the evil cat is that he did it with the Scottish accent. So all I can think of is so married an axe murderer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the thing is, I must admit, I didn't realise it was Ryan. Red- I could tell it was Ryan Reynolds doing the dog. I thought it was someone else mm-hmm. doing the cat. And so I so maybe that's made I wasn't listening out for it. But I didn't think, oh, that's a terrible Scottish accent or anything. I thought I, th- I thought it was really good. And that, that's but point I, to make. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds does all the voices in a, in a bit. Yeah. I guess in a bit sort of like a Tyler Durdenny way. He does all the voices of the the voices in his head, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought that's for me. The, the when I got into the film it was a bit after the murder because I was still sort of like I'm not sure how I feel about this film. I'm not sure about feel about this film. Actually, you know the bit that put me off near the beginning was the 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 sort of office party at the at the factory mm. where they're all doing the conga, and I just sort of found that really annoying. That that conga scene is brilliant because that is what puts you. Um, it, it sort of spins you off into this alternate his alternate reality because he's willing to put up with it, but it also sort of it, it focuses Gemma Arterton as a bit of a tool because she suggests the conga and they all sort I of conga so. around and then he's doing it because he's kind of in love with that slash you know fatally stalking obsessed her. with her yeah yeah well I suppose in my in my mind though that conga scene I thought oh god we're in we're in annoying wacky indie film world kind of thing uh, do you know what I mean you know, see, I'm still so thinking... I think that's why it had my alarm bells going and, that, and so that's why I think it probably took me another 20 minutes to get uh, over that's that really interesting for and me, realise oh it's a bit better than that for me we're, uh, that was kind of like oh we're in sort of like dark indie John Waters territory this is just <laughs> right. a bit ridiculous and I quite like it because it had that miserable guy who I loved there was one shot of him that made it for me. There was a guy in the meeting who just like, I never conga. Meh, 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 meh. Oh, yeah. And there's this one great <laughs> shot of the congas going, and he's doing it, and his face is just this picture of pain. Because he's just like, oh, <laughs> I'm into conga. And that, that, that kind of like sold it for me on that. Like, that's like, we're not buying into this conga as like, it's a cool, magical thing that's happening. Actually, no. Mr. Real in the middle is hating it. But this, this girl, who is awful, yeah. is suggested and is leading the conga. But I agree. I think that the film really sort of started improving for me yes when you when they did the sort of the change between how his flat seemed yeah in it with medication and when you started seeing it the flip of it you know stripped away with all its as you say smudge and blood everywhere and i did really like that cutting up scene you know that was done with quite a lot of fun you know with the kind of the gradually like the the tupperware boxes getting higher and the fact that like all the tupperware water, boxes then... are alternating colors like it's done this just perfect yeah like, yeah it's... that was i thought that was the bit when i sort of thought okay i'm properly quite into this yeah. now kind of thing uh, but, uh, but by the way one thing that i will say in my film frank and cindy or cindy and frank whichever it is i did not laugh but i maybe chuckled a few times i didn't laugh with this film, it's definitely a black comedy. I, I but reckon I didn't, I may it didn't have make me laugh. And like the cat dialogue, the cat dialogue, the cat is really profane. Mm. So it's a bit like Ted. You know, it's a talking yeah. cat, and it really swears a lot. It's a, you know, did you did you f the bloody blah, blah? But it, 
it did not. I think I laughed out loud maybe I, three I, or four it times. It did not make me laugh. It didn't hit the, the, the classic sick laugh thing, but I think three or four times. Like I, I definitely laughed with the miserable guy doing the conga. I think one of the things the cat said. <laughs> no, no, I want to watch. I must admit, you're making me want to watch that bit again. <laughs> um, and oh, that's really early on. So we should that we should say we always like to recommend one scene. Yes. So people should definitely watch this into the conga scene. Although I don't agree because that scene was the reason I nearly <laughs> hated this film. Um, and I think I laughed out loud with the Tupperware box bit just because a couple of moments that I, th- I thought were really funny. Um, and it's definitely, mm. it's definitely. I think I would say it's definitely a comedy. Like it's, and the comedies don't always have to be belly rippers but i'd say it's definitely a black comedy definitely a black comedy but that's the thing i i just i didn't i don't remember laughing once and as well i do think it got quite horary at times not in a scary way as such, no, but no. in a sort of gory way yeah um, definitely when he's getting there's bits when he's like there's blood flying around but there's just that really yeah. um pointless bit of gore when they just find her entrails lying on the ground he's removed the corpse <laughs> yeah. for some reason her entrails are just on the ground but i agree i, I totally agree that i think because ryan reynolds i i've I remember the first thing I saw him in, which is probably quite early on in his career, so it's probably the first thing loads of people saw him in, was um, that not very good party liaison film. Oh, Van um, Wilder. Something, yeah, and I really didn't like that film. And I found him particularly annoying mm-hmm. just because I really hated his smile. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and straight away in this, his you're right, his character is portrayed really sympathetically. He's quite sweet. And it, but right at the beginning, he's got there's just something about that smile he does that I found quite punchable. Yeah. Um, but I totally agree. He's great in this. He's really he's he he does a really good performance of a really, a, you know, a, a troubled dude. I, I think the whole support, I think it's it's a great thing around because Anna Kendrick, who we haven't really touched on, um, no. who's kind of in love with him, and they have a small yeah. relationship. And I don't really want to go into too much what happens with that because no. I don't want to spoil this to people. But um, she's always fantastic, and she was fantastic there. But also, the, just the supporting cast of guys in the office were brilliant. I thought they were great. They were really deadpan. They're very funny. The only problem I had with that, that I think the ending was great, but then there's like the post ending, which I just mm. didn't like at all. I know what you mean. Well, the, I'm not going to let's not the say too much about it. But all I would say is sequence. that that slightly put me in mind of the needing conga. <laughs> right. So I know what you mean. It it made me think a bit of um. It made me feel a bit uh, I heart Huckabees, I guess, in some ways, just that sort of like silliness. Mm. Um, Same thing actually happened at the end of that um, other David O. Russell film that I had in episode uh, two. Yeah. The, um, they kind of have a sort a of musical number. something like that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. A musical um, And I wasn't a fan of that in any way, shape or form. I thought that was a bit self-indulgent. Other than that, I thought it was a cracker. I'd go, I'd go, you know, I'd go B plus on this one. I definitely didn't like it as much as you. Mm. I did like it. I can enthuse about similar things. I would go. Well, I'd go B minus or C plus. Well, cool. But I, de- but I would B- say definitely. I think definitely people should. Yeah, I think definitely people should watch it. Yeah. So it's definitely not a oh you can't watch this. I think Ryan Reynolds' performance alone, it's an interesting thing to see. You know, he's a big name at the moment, mm. and it's interesting to see him do something that's a bit. And I think he does. Oh, it I tell really you, the other well. thing that's really reminded me of actually. Um, and if you've seen this, you should definitely watch the voices. Bernie, have you seen Bernie? Oh yes, but ages ago. It really, really reminded me of Bernie. Yeah. In tonally, yeah. not not like not like it was. So my film, my film previously was really trying to be the Coen Brothers. It achingly wanted to be the Coen Brothers, whereas mm. this just had a similar tone to Bernie. This this, this director obviously she, she knows what she's doing. She's quite a, a focused person um, and successful. All the rest of it. 
and Linklater does what he does, she does what she does. But tonally, I think this and Bernie have a, a certain a kinship. Yeah. So we've got two films we'd recommend. One that was a solid B from you. One that was an aggregated B from the pair of us. And one yeah. that I really wouldn't recommend, even if you were the most bored person on earth, on a desert <laughs> island. Well, that's a lie. If you're faced with watching Band of Robbers or um, Chasing Holden or Finding Holden, whatever the thing's called, then watch Band of Robbers. But otherwise, just do something else. Go outside, play in the sun, play swing ball. I like swing ball. It's much better than Band of Robbers. I've not played swing ball. You're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So the task falls to you for next week, Johnny. Yes, I know. And the thing is, I've gone for there are load there are so many different genres I want to try, but I've gone for um disaster movies. That's our next one, disaster movies. Really? But the pro- yeah, but there's a problem. Well, there because... aren't any disaster movies on Netflix? No, there are loads of them, oh, but the thing That's is, cool. I must admit I wanted to find like obscure 70s disaster movies. You know like I don't know they're not obscure, but you know there are so many of them oh, that yeah. first wave of disaster movies. And then I thought, actually, no, because most of them you've kind of seen, you know, there's Meteor, the Swarm and all that. Yeah. So I thought, actually, because there was that interesting bit, wasn't there? Just after the success of Jurassic Park, suddenly there were like much better effects. So there was that huge wave of disaster Well, movies. I think it has a lot to do with Roland Emmerich as well, because he decided to tr- tr- yeah, roll exactly. out things like Independence Day. And then suddenly you're getting, oh, God, he made that awful 2012 thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but exactly. But like... In the nineties, particularly in early two thousands, mm. there was a whole load. There were just loads of them coming out. Yeah. But actually, looking on Netflix, they're slightly sort of drowned out by the sort of Sharknado-y films. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I'm still looking, dude. I haven't decided, but disaster films, it's going to be. Okay. And I'm just hoping I can find some. I'm, I'm, I might go with a decades thing. You know, one from the seventies, one from the eighties, one from the nineties, or something. If there's enough. So, disaster movies it is. It's your uh, arduous task. Chance to, to shine. Sift. It's your <laughs> chance to shine. It's, uh, it's your arduous task to sift through the direct and try and find something that uh, that might be might be semi-watchable. If you have anything that you would like to see us review, any genre, any particular movie, you can get hold of us at wewatchanything at gmail.com or just tweet us at wewatchanything. And... If you're a bit bored of the intro, even though we're only five episodes in, we're a bit bored of it already. If you've got any suggestions for Flush Down the Loo, changing that, anything like that, just ping it to us. We'll change the intro. We'll give you a credit. And uh, we'll all be happy that it's different. Yes. So, awesome. See you next time, dude. See you soon, dude. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs>